This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. So we're going to continue our study of Noah and the flood today in Genesis chapter 8. If you'd like to turn there, uh, we'll read a few verses just to get started, have a word of prayer, and then get into the lesson. I really appreciate it. Pastor Radice's message this morning and some of the things that Brother Bob said and it, it all revolves around God's faithfulness. If we could just wrap our mind around how faithful God is to us and how we need to be faithful to Him, uh, that would, we would do well. But Genesis chapter 8, I'm going to read the first three verses and we'll get into the lesson. It says, And God remembered Noah and every living thing, and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. Verse 2, the fountain also of the deep, and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. Verse 3, and the waters returned off from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, even when we're not faithful, you are faithful. Thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for uh, the fact that we can meet together here and study your word. Thank you for divinely preserving and divinely inspiring your word, Lord, uh, that we would have uh, a book that would help us through life. Lord, be with this lesson. Help us to learn about you and Christ, of whom we are his ambassador. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Genesis chapter 8. You know, when anxious believers, and that's us, any that are born again, are searching the Bible in, in times of trouble for something that are encouraging, it's most likely we'll turn uh, to Romans chapter 8. There's a tremendous amount of encouragement there, and we probably would not turn to Genesis chapter 8 if we were looking for encouragement. Uh, Genesis 8, as the note said, described God's mop-up operation after the flood. But the next time you find yourself in a storm, and if you're not in a storm, you will experience in one, and we all know that. But Genesis 8 can give you new hope and encouragement because the major theme the major theme that we find in the book of Genesis chapter 8 is uh, renewal and rest after tribulation. After the flood, Noah, his family, the animals were given renewal and re rest. And so the chapter records the end of a storm and the beginning of new life and the beginning of hope for God's people. And I want to emphasize for God's people a lot of promises in the Bible, but when you're talking to your friends and they're hurting, uh, be careful that you don't promise an unsaved person that something God promises to his people. But for God's people and God's creation, and, and the next time you need encouragement, just consider what God did for Noah. Uh, and the ark and the animals and the world here in Gen that we find in Genesis chapter 8 and take courage in that. So the first blank, uh, uh, number one, is God remembers 
God remembers his own. And we find that in Genesis chapter 8. And again, I'll emphasize his own. Uh, God remembered, God, and, and we start with letter A, and there's an order here, but there's not an order. And please don't ask me why I did it in this order. And, but the answer is, that's because the way Warren Wiersbe wrote it. And we're studying out of his book. So that's the reason. There's no hidden agenda here, okay? So God remembers us in a storm. That's the first blank there under A. God remembers us in a storm. When you're going through a storm, it, it is so easy uh, to feel forsaken. We get wrapped up in, in our own life and our own emotions, and, and just we look, tend to look inside, and it's easy uh, to feel forsaken. And everyone can recall Hebrews 13, 5. We know it mentally, and we can quote it. It says, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. So then why would we get distressed in a time of trial? Uh, because we're humans. Uh, we, we get in a dark storm of life, and we can feel lonely and abandoned. And that's the truth. And so what we're going to do is look at some biblical examples of when this has happened to different people to just kind of reiterate that. But letter, uh, not letter B, God remembered Jesus in a storm. God remembered Jesus in a storm. Uh, feeling, feeling forsaken is a normal human emotion that we've all experienced. So if you're happy to feel forsaken, you feel lonely, you feel deserted or whatever, don't think that you're going off the deep end. That's a normal human emotion. We can see that. Uh, the psalmist experienced this human emotion. Uh, in Psalm 10, he says, Why standest thou afar off? O Lord, why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Can you see how he's, a, he's feeling deserted almost by God? And then the Apostle Paul, he confessed that his troubles in Asia, this is the great Apostle Paul, uh, can, he confessed in, that his troubles in Asia, Asia had been so severe that he almost gave up on life. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Paul experienced the feeling of being forsaken and almost was ready to give up on, on his life. And then Jesus. Jesus was 100% human and 100% deity. And in his humanity, as he hung there on the cross, he also experienced the feeling of being forsaken. So what did he cry out from the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So we point these out. We, we show you that feeling desolate is nothing new to the child of God. It happens to all of us. It's a normal human emotion. And we look at in Genesis chapter 8 where it says, uh, in verse 1 it says, And God remembered Noah. And we just want to spend just a minute to consider that word remember. Uh, when God remembered, it means to pay attention to or to fulfill a promise and act on behalf of somebody. Uh, for example, God's promises and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more in Hebrews chapter 10. And that, that, that what that means is God doesn't hold our sins against us. He doesn't treat us like a sinner. Uh, God certainly knows what we've done. He knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows the intents of our heart. 
God knows what we've done. But because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because we put our trust in him, our sins are, in essence, forgotten by God, and he deals with us as though our sins have never been committed. And praise God for that. Uh, the Lord remembers those sins against us no more. Uh, he chooses not to do that because we're in Christ. Others that experienced this uh, feeling of being forsaken was Abraham, Lot, Rachel, and Hannah. I could have put four blanks there and extended out my notes, but I thought we'd shorten it down a little bit. But God remembered them. You know how he remembered uh, Abraham, uh, God remembered Lot in the destruction of Sodom and, and saved him out of there. And the Lord remembered both Hannah and Rachel and enabled them to conceive and bear sons. God is interested in our lives and where we're at and what we're going through. And he remembers us. He, he acts on our behalf. Uh, he intercedes. He helps us in our trials and tribulations. And then... Letter D is God remembered the Jews. God remembered the Jews. Uh, the Lord remembered his covenant and delivered the Jews uh, from the bondage of Egypt. And, and you know that story in Exodus and how that account that happened there. And so to remember implies a previous commitment made by God and announces the fulfillment of that commitment. For instance, at Mount Sinai, when Moses was called up to the burning bush, God said, and I'll just paraphrase this, please don't, just paraphrase it. God says, Moses, you go down into Egypt, you get my people, and come back here and worship. So what was God doing? He was promising Moses, you do what I ask you to do. You be obedient to my word. Go down there to those people. Don't you worry about Pharaoh. Don't you worry about his armies. Don't you worry about the Red Sea, the bitter water, or nothing else that you're going to encounter. Because I'm telling you, God says, you're coming back here with the people to worship here at the mountain. So what God is doing is he's fulfilling a promise. God promises never to leave us or forsake us in our lives. We can take it to the bank. He said it. That settles it, whether we believe it or not. God will not leave us nor forsake us. And, and praise God for that. Uh, letter E, God remembered Noah and his family. You know, Noah and his family had been together on the ark for over a year. And folks, that's a lot of togetherness. When I retired from the Navy in 1995, my wife and I spent two months together in a car driving around the country. It's a lot of togetherness. If you want to test the strength of your marriage, that's one way to do it. And it worked out. We made it. We made it back. But that was a lot of togetherness that Noah and his family experienced on the ark. And there's, there's no record that during this time, God spoke to them, like when he was telling Noah to build the ark and what to do and get the animals. There's no record that he spoke to them. Do you think it's possible that during this year that Noah or members of his family could have felt forsaken? They're in an ark. Uh, it's a storm outside, obviously moving around some, all the animals. Uh, they could have felt a twinge of fear. 
Maybe, the, maybe God forsaken them. Are you out there, Lord? Uh, we're not hearing from you in here. Uh, but just a thought that uh, Warren Wiersbe put out, that maybe they could, could have had an occasional fleeting fear uh, that God didn't care for them anymore. But God did remember Noah and his family, didn't he? And God remembered the animals. God not only remembered Noah, as it says in verse 1, remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle. God remembered the animals and that were in the ark with Noah and his family. And God spared these creatures. He could have just wiped all the animals off the face of the earth and started all over again. But he remembered them just like he remembered Noah and his family uh, so that they could live on and they could experience the renewed earth. Uh, and they could reproduce after their kind. And I want to emphasize after their kind. Sheep beget sheep. Cattle beget cattle. Elephants beget elephants. Dogs beget dogs. Regardless of what some people would try and tell you about evolution. This is, they reproduced after their kind. It was God's desire that these creatures enjoy the earth. And that they would contribute to the happiness of God's people. Uh, we're to have dominion over the animals, according to Genesis. Uh, and so God remembered these animals and he kept them there uh, to, to be a, a blessing to mankind as well. And we can be sure that God never forsakes or forgets his people. Keep that in your mind and in your heart when you're going through troubles. He never forgets his promises either. Uh, we can depend on God to remember his own. And again, I say his own. No matter what our circumstances are, and no matter what our normal emotional feelings are that we have in life, and we have those feelings. Uh, but God remembers us. And that takes us to number two. God renews his world. And we see that in Genesis 8. Uh, one, the second part of 1 down through 14. Uh, and letter A is God sent water. Pastor Coles uh, did an excellent message last week on sending the water. And God reached its, flood, flood, uh, reached its peak uh, in 150 days according to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 24. The torrential rains that were coming down and the eruptions of the water from underneath the earth had ceased, according to Genesis 8, chapter 2. It says, The fountains also of the deep, and the windows of heavens were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. So it all stopped in Genesis 2. And God caused the water to recede over the next five months. So where did the flood waters go? I mean, the whole earth, just imagine the whole earth is wrapped in water. So where does it go? Well, uh, since there were eruptions from, from beneath, there would be place for the water to go down in. There would be a whole continents or mountain ranges would, would come up. Uh, God worked it all out uh, so that the water would have a place to go. Uh, and then letter B goes along with that. God sent wind in verse 1. It says, and God made a wind to pass over the earth. God made a wind to pass over the whole earth. And, and you know wind blowing over water causes evaporation. And that would take 
some of the water away or whatever, however many God wanted it to take away. The point is a God that's powerful enough to cover the earth with water is certainly smart enough to know what to do with it when the water has done what it's supposed to do. God will take care of it and put it where he wants it to be. The wind could blow the, the water in certain places and take it away from certain places. God can do that. You know, centuries later, God used wind. Remember in, in Egypt during the, uh, uh, when Moses was there and the plagues, God used the wind to bring the locust into Egypt and he used the wind to blow it out. He used the wind to dry up the Red Sea. God uses nature to accomplish his will. God did send the wind. God, according to Psalm 148 and verse 8, it said God used the stormy wind to fulfill his word. Uh, and thank God for that. And then let her see, God sent rest. Yes, they were on the ark. The waters are going away. And now God sends rest. In verse 4, uh, it says, and the ark rested. The ark rested on the 17th day of the seventh month. The ark rested on a peak in the mountains of Ararat, somewhere located in modern Turkey. And we don't know which peak it was located on. And explorers would look to the Bible maybe to find some hint uh, of where it might be, and they're not finding anything. And Dr. Coles did an excellent, I think an excellent comment he, he made about that last week. If we were to locate the ark someone would build a shrine over it people would be going there to worship the ark just like the ark of the covenant that we don't have people would worship things like that there are uh, religions that worship things uh, and god says he's a jealous god he will not share his worship with anything or anybody and we're not to have images that we worship so now that makes sense why God would do that. Uh, and so Noah and the ark found rest. And the Hebrew text tell us that the ark came to rest, and that reminds us that Noah's name actually means rest. And though the ark had rested safely, uh, Noah was waiting on the Lord. This is one of the characteristics of Noah that's, that's good, as he waited on the Lord to tell him what to do. He waited 40 days, and then he sent out the raven. The raven was an unclean bird. Uh, there might be carcasses of dead elephants or dinosaurs or whatever floating around out there, and, and it, to him that would be a banquet, a feast. Uh, so the raven went out, and it did not come back. Noah waited a week, and he sent out a dove, which is a clean animal. Found no place to rest, and it came back to the ark. And a week later, Noah sent the dove out again, and it returned with a fresh olive leaf. So when Noah saw that, he knew that vegetation, plant life, was being returned uh, to the earth. And isn't it interesting that the secular world, if they have a, an international symbol of peace, would be a dove with an olive branch in it? Where did they get that? right here in Genesis chapter 8. So then a week later, Noah sent the dove out the third time, and it did not return, so he knew the water had dried up. But Noah was waiting on the Lord for guidance, what to do, when to do it. 
And that brings us to letter D, God sent dry ground. We see that in verse 13. Uh, and it says, the face of the ground was dry. You know, Noah built a window in the ark, as it said. I don't know. I've, I've not been to the ark up wherever it's at, Tennessee, Kentucky, wherever. But where is it? Kentucky. Okay. I've not been there. I'd like to go see that sometime. But uh, the Bible says in verse 6 that Noah had built a window in the upper deck of the ark. These are not Mr. Rogers' windows. Okay. You Seriously, when you... Th- see things like this you need to try as best you can to go back and put your feet in Noah's sandals and what would they have for a window back then I'm not sure it may be an animal skin over a hole or something probably not though and I'll tell you why in in just a second Uh, but the window was there to let in some kind of light And the more I thought about this, the more I thought, you could preach a whole message on this. Imagine being in the ark. God shuts the ark, and it starts raining. How much light do you think is going to get in? I don't know if they had candles or something in there or whatever, but it's going to be dark in there. Uh, I think the animals probably went into a state of hibernation, but all the breathing... Uh, you breathe in a breath every time you breathe out. 4% of the oxygen turns to carbon dioxide, so it won't be long, uh, the oxygen. But there's a lot of things that go into that. But God took care of all of that sort of thing and, and kept it straight. But in any event, uh, and then in 13 it says, Noah removed the covering. So there's a difference between the covering and the window. And it's interesting that this uh, Hebrew word for covering is only found 16 times in the Old Testament. Once here in Genesis chapter 8 when Noah removed the covering. And can you guess where the other 15 occurrences are? The tabernacle. God had made a covering for the tabernacle. It's the only time it's found in the Old Testament. Here when Noah removed a covering, 15 times when they're talking about in the tabernacle. So I think it's different than the window uh, because here Noah is able to, maybe some sort of hatch or whatever, but he's able to actually see what's going on around him. In verse 6, he didn't see, and that's where he put the raven and the dove out, but here he's actually able to see, what, see the dry ground. Uh, and so uh, he sees this, and the passengers had been in the ark for a year at this point. I don't know about you, but I'd be wanting to get out of there. Uh, But praise God, Noah was a man that was faithful to wait on God. And he did. Uh, And Noah saw that the ground was dry, but he didn't make a move until the uh, Lord gave him an order, and that comes in verse 15, and that's when he obeyed. Noah and his family knew at this point that God had renewed his world and that they would wait on the Lord to give them the okay to leave the ark and step foot on the new world. And that if there's a lesson that we all need to heed is do not run ahead of God. We can look out and see that, hey, things look like this would be good to enter into this business proposition or to go do this or to go do that. But we need to take 
our desires to the Lord and wait on him to give us guidance however he, he chooses to do that. Uh, so Noah waited on the Lord. Uh, and that's a profitable lesson that we could all learn. And then that takes us to number three. God rewards faith. God rewards faith. And we see that in verses 15 through 19, if you kind of want to get an idea of where we're at. Uh, God, letter A, God rewarded Noah's faith. There are four characteristics displayed in Noah that Pastor Wiersbe pulled out of here for us. Uh, and it would be well for us to emulate those four characteristics. And I listed them there for you, but I'll go over them briefly. Uh, no, as you know, Noah was a man of faith, and he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Heroes of the Faith. But look at some of these characteristics here. Noah had faith to walk with God. He walked with God when the people around him were ignoring and rejecting God's word God's way, God's will. They, they wanted nothing to do with it. But Noah had faith in God, and he walked with God, regardless of what the rest of the people were doing. And then God had faith to work for God. Do you think maybe some of the people made fun of him out there building that ark as big as it was in, in, in a situation that they were in? Uh, I'm sure they did. And so God, uh, Noah had all this peer pressure, but he still worked for God. And by his lifestyle, by the fact that he was uh, listening to God, he walked with God, he worked with God, he was a great witness for God. Uh, and we, folks, we can be a witness for God just the way we live our life. The words we don't say, the places we don't go, my neighbor lady paid me one of the highest compliments uh, that I've had in a long time. Uh, she was talking to me here about a month ago, and she says, Gene, she says, uh, we knew something was wrong in, in the December because you and Judy didn't go to church on Sunday morning. And that's, that's a witness. They knew they can look out the, they can set their clock and look outside. It's about 9 o'clock, Gene and Judy be leaving any time now for church. Uh, and, and folks, that's just a witness. I'm not, listen, I'm not elevating myself. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying that Noah was a witness to those around him by the way he lived his daily life. You can be a witness for God the way you live your daily life. And all of us are. In a public restaurant, when we bow our head and pray for our food, uh, a lot of people don't do that. They're embarrassed to do it. Not embarrassed to pray to God. I'd be more embarrassed to stand in front of Jesus and him say, why didn't you pray for your food in that restaurant, Gene? Were you ashamed of me, Gene? I don't want to be ashamed of God. So we can be a witness in our daily lives is a point that I'm making. I'm getting off on a rabbit trail, but let me go on. Noah exercised faith to wait on God. When they're in the ark, oh, the urge to get out of there, to get out on that new ground uh, had to be big. Uh, and I'm sure his wife was saying, come on, Noah, let's go. No, we're waiting on God. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm not, I probably shouldn't have said that. Wives are going to get upset. I'm, I didn't mean it that way. I'm just saying the family would have wanted, all of them would have wanted to get out. The elephants may have been going, I want out too, you know. But Noah was faithful to wait on God. 
And so I'm going to go on. Letter B, God rewarded the family's faith. Like Noah, the family must have yearned to get back, as we said, uh, but they too waited on uh, God's directions. You know, circumstances, like I said, can look good, but that's no guarantee because of the way they look. We need to take our desires, our intentions, our trusts, our, our needs, uh, whatever we're planning on doing to the Lord, and let him guide us. Obedient faith is our response to God's word. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, uh, Romans 10 tells us. So God rewarded the family's faith as well. God rewarded Noah's faith and the family's faith. He, he cared for them the whole year they were in the ark. I can't imagine of what it was like to be in that ark for a year with all the animals and with all the lack of light for at least the first 150 days with all the storm clouds above you. There was, couldn't have been much light, uh, but God cared for them and he took care of them. God prepared the new earth for them. Uh, and so God took care of them so that they could leave the ark. You know, Noah was like the second Adam. Uh, he, he made a new beginning for the human race. So all of us, if you want to go to Ancestry.com, you can just tell them that your relative was Noah because he came out of the ark, and you can trace yourself back to his family. And really, when they do things like that with DNA, uh, they're amazed at how, they're, how few uh, people that they can relate it to back in time. And, of course, we know why. They can go to the Bible and get the answer for that. But God rewarded their faith with Noah and the animals because he did, guess what he did? He gave them the exact same mandate that he gave the animals in Genesis chapter 1 and man in Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse uh, 17 at the end of the verse. What does it say? It says, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. That's the same mandate that God gave the animals in Genesis 1.22, told them to be fruitful and multiply, and he told man that in Genesis 1.28, uh, to be fruitful and multiply. That's God's desire. He wants us to be fruitful, to multiply, uh, and, and enjoy the earth. So with all these positive things, let's think for just a moment, what was it, do you think, that caused these people of Noah's day to reject God's word uh, to not respond uh, to the fact that the ark was being built uh, so that they would have a place to go, some safety. Well, uh, Jesus gave a couple parables that I think shed some light on that. Uh, and in Luke chapter 14, it talks about a great supper was prepared and guests were invited but they didn't come because they were occupied with the normal things of life. One had some land, another had a wife, another had some oxen. Uh, they just, they found reasons, normal reasons of life to not attend the Great Supper. Jesus also told a parable in Matthew 24 about eating and drinking and marrying. And, and these people will be unconcerned about eternal things. They, these people believed that in Jesus' parable that life would go on as it always had and they had nothing was going to change it. There was no reason 
uh, to get excited about the word of God or the wooing of God. And like those in Noah's day, and like those in Jesus' parable, that's what we see around us today. People today have the same attitude concerning the return of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that they're, I'm not even talking about evil, wicked things. I'm just talking about the normal people that are living normal lives and saying, well, you know, I just got too much to do today to go to church. I've got my car to wash on Sunday morning, so I can't go to church. Uh, I've got this going on. I've got that going on. Uh, and they give no thought to the word of God. They reject any uh, and all assembling, reading the word of God, praying. They're just leading ordinary lives. And that's what the same thing that we saw back then in the parables. And that's the same thing that happened back in Noah's day. And we were warned about this by Peter in 2 Peter 3. He says, in the last days, there will be scoffers walking after their own lusts. Uh, and they'll be asking the question, where's the promise? You, you Christians said Jesus is coming back. Where is he? And they're saying that today. There will be scoffers. And, and Paul warned this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We said, the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. And it comes as a thief in the night because you're not prepared for him coming. If you knew the thief was coming, you'd been prepared. Uh, but the people aren't prepared, and it, the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And there will people be saying, oh, peace, peace, safety, uh, is what Paul tells us. And then there will be sudden destruction. So like Noah and his family, though, even in the times we find ourselves, even when we hear the things we're hearing from those around us, uh, we need to be like Noah and his family and have faith in the word of God, regardless, regardless of what those around us are saying, regardless of what they're doing, regardless of what they're buying into, we need to take a stand for God, have faith in God, faith in the word of God, and live our lives in a way that pleases him, even if praying in a restaurant disturbs someone else. We need to have faith in God. We must keep the faith. Letter C. How am I doing on time? Okay, letter C. God rewards saving faith. God rewards saving faith. And when it comes to saving faith, each of us must trust Jesus Christ personally, individually and personally. We can't be saved by the faith of a substitute. There are those out there that believe you can pray for the dead. Uh, they didn't pray for themselves, but I can pray for them now that they're dead, and then they'll be saved. And people that believe that developed a thing called Ancestry.com. And that's where it came from, the Mormons believing that they could pray for the dead and get them into heaven. And there's others. But in any event, saving faith has to be individual and personal. Noah's wife and their three sons and three daughter-in-laws were also believers, and they proved it. They stood by Noah when the world stood against him. They walked up that plank into the ark with Noah when he walked in. They were all adults. They could have just said, hey, you know, you old fogey, 
I'm going with these people over here because they're all young. They're smart. They know what's going on. They've got a college. They're intelligent. Uh, I'm not going into that art. But they proved their faith in God, their own personal faith, by walking into the ark. These are adult children. They could have walked away, but they didn't. They proved their faith and walked into the ark. They, their individual a personal faith in God is what would cause one to do that. So God remembered the family's faith. And then we see, number four, God received worship. And I have to turn my page of my Bible because we're going to verses 20, 21, and 22. But we'll start in 20. God received worship. In verse 20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. That's why I just gave away some of my blanks. That's all right. A, God, Noah, Noah built an altar. Noah built an altar. He stepped out of the ark and stood on the renewed earth. Noah was so filled with gratitude that his first act was to lead his family to worship. As I read about that and I contemplated it, it rebuked me to no end. How many times has something good, a real blessing come our way? Noah was blessed for him and his family to leave the ark. But instead of thanking God, we re, I, you know, sometimes I go off, I rejoice. Yay, happy days. Well, I'm glad this happened. Things are working out. Woohoo! it's fine. Look what I did. And then it will dawn on me that I, I didn't do it. God did it. God worked in my heart. God worked in my life. Uh, and so I need to be thankful to God. I need to worship him and thank him for what good things, what great things he's done in my life. Uh, and so Noah did that. Uh, when he got out of the ark, the first thing he did uh, was to build an altar and worship. He led his family in worship. And so now true worship has returned to the earth. Notice that he offered some of the clean animals uh, for sacrifices. All too often we're led astray by the world's interpretation of what happened that all the animals came in by twos. Well, the unclean animals came in by twos. The clean animals came in by sevens. And the reason they came in by sevens was what we see right here, uh, that they were able to use them as sacrifices and worship them. And they'd still be able to renew, rebuild after their own kind. But true worship had been restored, restored on the earth. And then B, Noah sacrificed to the Lord. The description that's found here uh, in verse 20, uh, 21, and the Lord smelled of sweet savor. And the Lord smelled of sweet savor. Uh, so we look at that for just a minute. Uh, Noah sacrificed, the description that of God smelled a sweet savor is it's a human way of expressing a divine truth. It's not that God actually smelled the burnt animal uh, or anything like that. But what we're saying is the divine truth is this, that God is pleased with and accepts the worship and he accepts the worshipers because of their heart. They're right with God. They're doing, they're being obedient to his word. Uh, and God appreciates that. And it's a sweet 
smell in God's nostrils is the way he has chosen to express his feelings. Uh, if, if it is not a sweet savor, then something's wrong either in the heart of the people or the way they're worshiping. And you can see that all throughout uh, Israel as they go into the promised land and they built the high places and they did the sacrifice wrong. Uh, the two boys that sacrificed wrong and God killed them. Uh, th those were not accepted. But God, when, he, when it says in the Bible that there's a sweet savor, that's just an earthly way of expressing a divine truth that God is accepting the worship and the worshipers, is accepting their heart. And I pray that God accepts me and you and what we do here at Good News Baptist Church when we come to worship the Lord. I pray it's a sweet savor uh, in his nostrils that God believes that. But in and of ourselves, we cannot please God by what we are or what we do. But by faith, by faith in the word of God, we can be accepted uh, in Jesus Christ. Those that put their faith in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, will be in Christ. And when the Father looks at us that are in Christ, he sees his righteousness. He sees Jesus' righteousness. And believers are accepted in the beloved Son, Ephesians 1, 6 said, who is well-pleasing to the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that I'm accepted in the beloved Son, uh, not in and of anything that I can do or be or say or am. Number five, God reaffirms the natural order in verses 21 and 22 uh, of chapter 8. And so God makes some promises here. And so what did he promise? The first thing he promises in A is that no more will God curse the ground. No more will God curse the ground. You know, God had cursed the ground in Genesis 3.17 uh, for Adam's sin. And then there was a further curse because of Cain's sin in Genesis chapter 4. God's promise here does not invalidate those promises. Those promises will remain until Jesus comes again and we dwell in the new city. What God is saying is in his infinite mercy to mankind, because they were so wicked, God is not going to add to the previous curses that he placed on the ground. So God is merciful here. We see it, a great act of mercy. God could have cursed the ground even more. Uh, but he didn't, and God is, uh, is graceful, and he did not add to man's affliction. And letter B, another promise is no more to smite the animals. In verse 21, neither will I again smite any more every living or everything living as I have done. God will not. Uh, smite the animals again just like we, the ground is going to stay the way it is animals will stay the way they are and they'll keep uh, keep on going uh, they too would renew after their own kind like Noah is the father of the, the second Adam of the race 
these animals are like the second uh, creation, again, if you will, uh, of animals. And another promise is uh, found there at the end of uh, verse 21, which says, as I have done. In other words, no more universal floods. No more universal floods. God determined that there would be no future universal floods. Now, this does not mean that there will not be sin, that sin will not be judged today or in the future because there will be a future judgment. Romans uh, chapter 1 and following makes that clear. Uh, but man is being judged even today uh, as a sinner, those that are unsaved, through the consequences of their sins. God gave them over to a sinful bondage. Working in the jail, I saw people just hooked on drugs that even if they got clean, maybe even years later, they just, they just had to have it again. They were hooked on it. They were in bondage to it, uh, to drugs. It's a horrible thing. But God will turn uh, sinners over to their consequences of their sin. And one of the worst and greatest judgments that God can do on a living human being that is not saved is to turn them over to the evil, wicked imaginations of their own heart. That is a horrible end. But if God turns them over to that, uh, then that's their judgment uh, in this life. Of course, they'll be judged. There will be a future global judgment, uh, but not a judgment uh, of water like it was then. It will be a judgment of fire according to Second Peter uh, chapter 3. And then indeed, no interruption of the cycle of nature and the thing here is nature. Uh, in verse 22, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. There will be no interruption of the cycle of nature. The flood had interrupted the normal cycle of nature for a whole year. The earth was covered with water, but that would never be repeated. Uh, instead, God reaffirms that the rhythm of the days, the weeks, the months, the seasons uh, would continue as long as the earth endured. Uh, and without this guarantee, uh, mankind would never be sure of having the necessities of life. But we can be sure that we will have those seasons. We know now through science that the steady cycle of days and nights and all of this stuff is maintained by the Earth's axis and the rotation and the orbit around the sun. But guess what? God made it that way and God keeps it that way for our good and His glory. Praise God for what He's doing for us. And the guarantee in 8.22 gives us hope and courage as we face an unknown. Every night when we go to bed, uh, we can be sure the sun will come up in the morning. Every time we flip a page on the calendar, we can be reminded that God cares for us. God has promised to take care of us. Uh, and, it, uh, and a lot of times we just take that for granted. Uh, I try in the morning, every morning I wake up and say, God, thank you for another day of life. And Lord, please let me let this day be used for your glory. Uh, and all of these things are evidence that God is still on the throne. And not only is he on the throne, God is remaining faithful.
faithful to you and to me every day of our lives. We can trust this word right here. We can trust this. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56 says, There hath not failed one word of all his good promise. And that's true. And we need to remember that. Not one word of God's promise has failed, nor will it fail. God has promised we will not face a universal flood, but we can face trials and tribulations in this life. And so the next time you have one of life's many problems, and you will, yes, it's good to remember Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Please make sure you put that on there so that people don't think that that's just everybody. But all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And it's good to remember Genesis chapter 8. And God remembered Noah. And God will remember you in your times of trials and me uh, and those that are his own. And after the trial and tribulation, remember that God gave Noah rest and renewed start. So God remembers his own, regardless of what life throws at us. Those that are in Christ will one day, guess what? We're going to be granted eternal rest and eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for divinely inspiring it. Thank you for divinely preserving it. Thank you for allowing us to assemble together, Lord, openly and publicly uh, and look into your word. I pray, Father, that you will burn it into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to go forth and be witnesses to the lost and dying world uh, as you told us to do that we should go. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.